welcome to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and I'm joined today by special guest Emily Zarek, whose um, daughter Eliza has been in daycare for since she was 10 months old. My two kids both went through daycare as well, and today we're going to continue our series on daycare. In the first issue, Starting Daycare, we talked about how to find a daycare that suits you and your needs. And we talked, we started talking about some of the other logistics related to napping and, and um, nap uh, aids, but we didn't get very far because it turns out this is a very big topic. Today, we are going to try to cover um, transitioning into daycare and separation anxiety. We are going to get to naps and especially kind of surviving naps in the infant room. We'll hopefully get to the morning schedule and evening triage. And if there's time, we can start talking about transitioning to fewer naps um, as babies move through into different rooms. If any information, any uh stuff that we topics that we don't get to this time we do have another podcast lined up that will that will then cover whatever we miss so stay tuned and we'll tell you at the end what's coming up in the next podcast i want to mention one thing which is that um this precious little sleep um uh website also has a, a facebook page and on the facebook page a few weeks ago i asked people to you know, comment on what are the what are the topics they'd like us to cover. And so we're going to try to get to all of those topics. One of the the most popular topics was, was what are the pros of daycare? And I don't think we're going to talk about the pros of daycare today, but we definitely will get to it. And I think that you'll see, you know, as we talk about the different topics today, that hopefully you'll see some of the pros of daycare emerging. Okay, so with that lengthy introduction, we'll get to Emily. Let's talk about the transition to daycare one because when we were chatting earlier, you mentioned that you started Eliza at ten months and yeah. part time. And why don't you <laughs> tell us a little bit about how that worked or didn't work? Yeah, didn't yeah. work would probably be more accurate. Um, so we so started we at ten months, months because, because it was kind of a last minute decision. My mother had been watching her since I returned to work at three months, and she'd been watching her three days a week. And as my daughter got older and more active, um, my mom basically decided it was too much for her to handle, which, which I understand. My mom's older, um, and Eliza is strong-willed and very active, so... We knew we wanted to put her in daycare eventually, so we started looking for one, and it turns out looking for daycare at the last minute is a bad idea, uh, because the one we initially wanted didn't have any openings until September of 2017, which was obviously not going to work. So we found another really good one, um, but they only had a part-time slot open two days a week. So we started her there. And honestly, it was a disaster. <laughs> um, I mean, she did well once she had been there for a while. But honestly, the drop off every single day um, until we transitioned to full time was just a nightmare. She would start crying the minute we got there and she wouldn't stop for a while. Um, okay, so wait, let me interrupt to ask, <laughs> how long was it until you went to full time? Um, it was about two months. So we started at the beginning of May and we 
and we switched to full time when a full time spot opened up uh, late June. So it was it was about six, seven weeks. And it was rough. And I probably made things worse. I was listening to the previous podcast where they said, you know, parents usually make it worse by hanging out there. I did exactly that. I did everything you're not supposed to. I thought, you know, oh, I'll stay. I'll I'll get her used to it. And that it it was a bad idea. So don't do what I did. Don't hang out for half an hour with your kid and then leave because I think I just prolonged the inevitable. You know, I, babies are smart. You know, they incredibly they smart up on every little chink in your armor. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I'm not a super soft hearted person. I mean, obviously, I don't like it when my daughter's upset, but I'm I'm not that person who cries when her baby cries, but it was rough. You know, I felt bad dropping her off every single day and her just screaming and crying. And once one of her teachers emailed me midday and said, oh, you know, she calmed down a few hours later. You know, (laughs) here's the thing. We're obviously doing what we think is the right thing to do. You know, you think, okay, this is a a rough transition. And like all things with my baby, they need their mom and dad through this transition. Mm -hmm. It's very hard as a parent to convince yourself that actually ripping off the bandaid is, is the easier approach in the long run. Yeah. Because really what you're communicating to your child is that this is a, a safe and a fun and a happy place. And these people are here to take care of you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be taking care of you right now. These other people are. And I yeah. think that in part, you're kind of, you know, operating out of your guilt. Like you want to be the person taking care of your child, yeah. but you can't. And, and in yeah. sort of communicating that they pick up on that and they think, well, these, these people aren't my parent and my parent has just communicated to me that they're not a suitable replacement because yeah. they've lingered with me for so long. And so I wanted to know, you know, a, a number of people on the uh, Facebook page mentioned the same separation anxiety and one person actually noted, I'm just going to quote it. My 20 month old has been in daycare for eight months and she still cries almost every time we drop her off. I suspect that the cause is lingering over the goodbye, but I mean, I can't be sure about that. And suggest that with this, like every concern that you have with daycare, you just talk to your daycare provider. Ask, how is my baby after you leave? How long does it take for her to calm down? And how is she for the rest of the day? So, you know, my children both went through larger centers the infant, there were, you know, there are two infant rooms. One of them, I think, had 10 babies and the other one was maybe closer to 18. But they considered this, it was called a development center, as I mentioned in the last podcast. And um, part of what they did was they put together a binder, you know, and some of it is they're tracking their chi- your child's development, things like fine and gross motor skills and, and the things that they're accomplishing. But they also take photos so they're taking photos of your kid through the day and they're not sharing it widely or anything, but they are putting that into this binder for you. And so you can ask your daycare provider to do that. Can you take pictures of her during a fun moment and maybe later in the day, relive those moments with your, with your child Mm -hmm. to show that daycare is part of, you know, both of your lives and not just your child's life. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think one of the big issues for us is not just that I was lingering over the goodbyes and making mm-hmm. it worse, but that my daughter was older when we started because it it kind of blindsided me because my mother had been watching her since she was 12 weeks old. Um, and she had never had a problem with me leaving, but she started when she was 12 weeks old with my mother. So, but she didn't start daycare until she was 10 months. So it was a completely new situation. So it wasn't just me leaving her. It was the new situation. And, uh, right. And I think that in some ways that probably compounds because even for someone who, you know, both my kids started, you know, full-time daycare four months or six months, something like that. And so they start, they got used to it pretty quickly. Um, but nine months is your typical separation anxiety. (laughs) I picked a really bad time. It's kind of a challenging time, didn't you? Yeah. Um, like, so I would say that, in, and you can you can weigh in when you started full time, how long it took to iron out those wrinkles, but it can be rough for about two weeks. Yeah. How long after you started full time? What do you think? How long did it, it take? It was about a week. So it resolved really quickly. And it I think it also helped because at that time, my I, I normally do drop off and pick up just because of my schedule. But um, when she started full time, my husband was actually able to do a few days of drop off. So I think that helped because he was definitely more at more at ease with just dropping her off and saying, bye, bye, love you. See you later and walking out than I was. So I think mm-hmm. that helped a lot. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Within a week, um, she know and she hasn't cried since when I drop her off. Even when she moved up to the next room, she just adjusted really, really quickly. So, um, so I yeah, think, I was going to mention yeah. that actually. That yeah. that's another thing when when your child moves up to the next room, there could be some anxiety associated with that. And and I have to confess, the anxiety was greater <laughs> on my part, I think, than on my child's yeah. part because suddenly they're with an older and tougher age group, you know, ages zero to one is quite different from one to two and a Mm -hmm. two-year-old interacting with a one-year-old looks rough in a way that you're not used to. (laughs) Yeah. I remember, you know, when my first transition, like the first day I picked him up and, and in the afternoon, you know, he was lying down and a two-year-old was basically, you know, trying to shove a pacifier into his mouth and and he's crying and it's like, he he looked like he was being so manhandled, you know, but they get used to that really quickly too. And I think it is all these transitions are rougher for the parents. And like all transitions, you have to think, I mean, these are learning experiences. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to give your children some amount of independence, you know, to figure out situations on their own. And, And this gets increasingly important as they move into preschool, things like handling their emotions, working things out with other people. I think a lot of people would argue it's really not important before age two, that whole socialization thing. And from what I've understood from other people, that's what studies show that that kids up until age two, they're not interested in and they don't necessarily benefit from socialization. And sure, there are exceptions to that. But um, yeah. But I do think it's important to, you know, as a parent, step back and say, yeah. okay, we're going to give our kids, you know, room to figure out this new tough situation on their own. Well, and, and I think regardless of the benefits of, so- of socialization, they can definitely benefit from somebody else interacting with them. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there are great benefits to being a stay-at-home parent, um, 
But I think regardless of if you're staying home or working, your child benefits from new experiences. Um, so I know with my situation in particular, um, her experiences outside of the house were limited until she started daycare. Um, and just interacting with new people um, in general is good for her, regardless of if it's uh, developing her social skills or not. It's just developing her interacting with people who aren't mom skills, <laughs> which I think is no, good. I think, I think that's a really, really good point. You know, and even for people who don't ha use daycare, you know, if you remember back to the the early days of when you had your first child and you wanted to go out on a date and you thought, I can't leave my baby with somebody else. I mean, even getting a babysitter to give mm -hmm. a parent some short breaks to give parents time to find themselves again, you know, I think those yeah. are really important things and teaches your child that, you know, mom or dad or both, whoever, um, aren't the only people who can help take care of them. Exactly. And I mean, you know, even, you know, play groups, just interacting with other kids and other parents, it exposes to kids, it exposes kids to things that they may not be exposed to in your house, you know, ways of communicating and ways of playing. I mean, my daughter has learned a lot since being in daycare, things that I would never think to teach her. Right. You know, so I want to be, I think it's, we can move on to, to naps, but I wanted to note one other thing. So somebody mentioned that they drop their baby off, um, I think once a week, an hour at a time at a workplace daycare. Yeah. And somebody else mentioned that they drop their baby off from time to time at a gym daycare for an hour at a time. And those are the kinds of situations that just, frankly, it's going to be a lot more challenging, as, as Emily noted, um, these short duration and not consistent moments when someone else is caring for your child. And, and honestly, I just don't have any tips on how to make that easier. But I do want to say that just because your baby is crying when you drop them off or maybe, maybe even crying for the entire hour that you're working out in the gym, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, everyone deserves time to themselves. Yeah, exactly. Everybody deserves a little time to themselves. And that workout provides, you know, this, this greater good, you know, that you become in the mental and physical headspace where you're better able to care for your child after that situation. And an hour of crying is, is really, I, I shouldn't just, I'm not cavalier about it at all, yeah. but it's a blip in your baby's day. Yeah. And, and kids are going to cry about a lot. I mean, my daughter cried for about 15 minutes the other day, just because my husband went upstairs to sort laundry without her. So, mm -hmm. I mean, kids are just going to cry and being able to miss your child can sometimes make you appreciate the times that you're with them a lot more. So that's a really good point. I think yeah. I, I find I'm, I'm a better parent when I'm able to get that space away from her because I do invest more in the time we have together. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's talk about this, the giant thing, the <laughs> nap. Elephant in the room. <laughs> yes. So this is what everybody wants to know about. How do we get our baby to nap better at daycare? There were actually a, a couple of people who said <laughs> my baby naps better at daycare than at home. We can I want to, to know what God they're sacrificing to, quite frankly. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, 
I'm going to, I'm going to give us a long prelude to this one because a few people said, you know, should I be prepping my baby for daycare naps by keeping lights on, by not regulating noise at home and things like that. And I, I would say to start out by all means, do not regulate your baby's nap environment in the first few weeks of its life. Take advantage of the fact that newborns are naturally sleepy. I mean, I would walk around making phone calls, paying bills over the phone, you know, lights on. Unloading the dishwasher. (laughs) Yeah, loading. There you go, Emily, loading the dishwasher when my baby was little. And she slept through it all. I mean, granted, they were in totally irregular stints, but that's infancy for you. But I mean, both my kids went to daycare. Both my kids, I didn't try to regulate their nap environments. But guess what? At around three months for both of them, they were not napping super well or consistently or anything. And the swaddle and the dark room and the white noise worked at home. And I wasn't going to deprive them of that just because I knew they were going to be in daycare. And I don't want to go on just my, you know, um, N equals two population here, <laughs> but I've heard this from a ton of people, right? Yeah. Even like the, the number of times when I was dropping my child off at daycare and another parent would, would walk in and be talking to the daycare provider. I don't know what's going on here. She doesn't nap well here at home. We just put her in the crib and she does totally fine. Well, she didn't at daycare, right? And so I don't think that, you know, continuing to, I don't think there's such a thing as babies quote unquote, getting used to noisy, bright environments. I think there are some babies who will just nap well, no matter what. Um, And I think they're in the minority. (laughs) I think so too. And if you have one of those babies, then thank your lucky stars. Um, So, so that being said, you can be doing everything right at home And I don't mean, you know, other people are doing things wrong, but, you know, your baby can be napping amazingly at home and suddenly they're in a different environment at daycare. And really, you're very limited in what you can do for your baby to take naps in daycare. So we can talk about a few things. And and Emily, we will talk about, you know, sleep props and talking to your daycare provider. But a lot of this really is going to boil down to kind of like your your own mental approach, right? Yeah. So when you pick your baby up in the evening, instead of sobbing, which you might feel like doing, (laughs) just sort of take a deep breath, gather yourself, say, all right, let's, you know, deal with this. Tomorrow's another day. Yeah. And is that something that that you dealt with as well, Emily? (laughs) So my daughter's first day at daycare, I thought to myself, at the time she was on two naps and at home she slept great. She would take two one and a half hour naps and it was beautiful. And I thought to myself, okay, if she takes just two short naps, it'll be okay. You know, I can handle it. She'll make it. I went to pick her up and she had taken one 40 minute nap the entire day. And she was 10 months old. So luckily the nap had happened later in the day. So at least, you know, getting to bedtime was not too much of a challenge. But uh, as time went on, she basically regulated to taking one half hour nap every day. No matter how hard they tried, I would I would look at her little log that they would give me at the end of the day, her little sheet saying what she did. And like every couple hours they would note tried for nap, 
tried for nap, tried for nap. I mean, they tried rocking her. They tried, they have the little portable cribs on wheels. They would rock the cribs back and forth to try to soothe her and nothing having. She was way too interested in what was going on. The lights were on. There was noise going on because it was the infant room. So they were all on different schedules and she just wouldn't nap more than half an hour. So she would basically fall down from exhaustion, sleep for one sleep cycle, and then be up for the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to interject here. This the on the Facebook book group, this was the first time I'd heard this term FOMO babies. <laughs> F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Yes. I love this term because it is absolutely true. You think your child is exhausted when you drop them off because they got up at 5 a.m. and you're dropping them <laughs> off at 8 and by God, they desperately need a nap. But everything is bright and fun and their toys and other babies mm-hmm. and they don't get a nap till nine thirty or ten and you're like, What the or heck? One o'clock in my daughter's wake time at you know, seven months old, but that's your FOMO baby. Yeah. So I mean there were I mean, I remember once I picked her up and the teacher in the infant room said, Oh, Eliza had a great nap today and I looked and she had napped for an hour and ten minutes. And she was about, but one, one hour and 10 minute nap. And she was about 11 months old at the time. And uh, I mean, truth be told, that was a good nap for her because as it would turn out, she would only take half hour naps from then on. Um, Oh, even at home, huh? Well, no, at home, she still slept fine. Thank God. Oh, I thought you meant (laughs) No, but just at daycare, you know, they were thinking, oh, she's finally starting to take a longer nap. No, it was still, that was a blip. Most of the time, it was just a half hour nap. And uh, I would pick her up and she would be exhausted and she wouldn't fall asleep in the car because we only had about a five minute drive home. And I would have driven if she would have fallen asleep. I would have kept driving, but she just wouldn't. She was awake and uh, and our evenings were challenging, to say the least. Yeah. So uh, there was a number of things to comment on here. One of them is... Um, you know, like you said, they a lot of the daycare providers really do everything that they can, you know, and oh, yeah. the place that I went to, there were two infant rooms. Like I said, one of them had 10 babies um, and it used to be ideal when my first was born. It was awesome because they actually were um, by the clock, clock nap schedule yeah. and so he didn't nap like as well as he did at home, but he napped fine there. Um, and they would darken the room and, and make it quiet and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the state regulations, like I mentioned in the, in the last podcast came in and said, okay, babies, you know, get to dictate their own schedules. Which sounds so, good, but in practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they, um, this kind of handicaps a little bit what your daycare worker can do. And, and so they do like, like people point out, they try their best. And there was this woman, she was a miracle, you know, like she would swaddle the babies. They put them in, in the, um, kind of vibrating chair and, and by over the years of kind of rocking these things, the, the joints had become a little bit loosened. So (laughs) you would get this sort of like vigorous side to side rocking thing that she would do. And she would hum this monotonous hum like mm. <laughs> and I like she was getting her workout and she was getting these babies to sleep and they they would sleep they'd fall asleep but you know gosh darn it with those lights on and other babies yeah. crawling around in a small room they weren't yeah. 
long, consistent naps, right? Yeah. I, I mean, with my daughter, they uh, they would dim the section of the room that the cribs were in, but because they were also playing and feeding the babies, in general, the room was fairly bright. They would put her crib in the furthest corner. They would put, they had a white noise machine and they would put it underneath her crib because, you know, my daughter was, of course, the only child there that didn't nap well. I don't know where these other magic babies came from, but my daughter was the only one. Um, Emily, why do why do we why are we all why are there like millions of people who have the only baby who won't have well? I don't know, but they would try. I would come in sometimes, and this one wonderful woman would be holding my daughter against her in the glider, rocking back and forth, back and forth, and my daughter's eyes would just be. Do you almost see her forcing them open, like she like just rolling would. back in her head and like <laughs> and, shaking herself and, away? I've and seen she that. just absolutely refused to nap. Um, but I will say we survived. I mean, if if parents are listening to this and they are just getting panicky at the thought of dealing with this, I will say we survived. It wasn't always pretty. But we got through it and it was okay. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So I wanted to mention two things here. One is that, um, like I said, our, our, our place had two infant rooms. So after they made the, they had the new st- state regulations passed, the second room was like you mentioned, even though there were twice as many babies, it was a larger room. So they could section, kind of section the room off. And there yeah. was a, a darker area with the cribs, a brighter area with playing and a whole separate area for feeding that tended to be the noisiest. Yeah. So we made a request to switch rooms, even though we love the ladies in the smaller room, you know, we said, listen, like this is not personal. So parents, you do have a choice if there are two different rooms and things are not working for your baby. You talk to the daycare provider and just say, this is not working. You know, we really need to put our baby in the other room where it's going to be darker and quieter. And the other room also they'd invested in, in brand new swings. And so, as I mentioned in the last podcast that my baby would actually sleep when put in the swing. So there are only three of them and there were 18 babies. So she didn't get it all the time, but I knew the days she napped well were the days that they put her in the swing. And so they understand that those daycare providers, they do understand that. And and you can request, you know, like, hey, you know, today I'm really at my wit's end. Can you please put her in the swing for naps? And yeah. and they'll do what they can. So, you know, swaddle if they can, white noise if they can, try to make it darker if they can. Um, all those things you should be communicating with the daycare provider and they should be responding to you as well. Yes. Um, and then. Oh, the other thing that, that Emily mentioned is the don't despair. So when you start your baby at, at, at 10 months, there's a shorter period over which you might despair because for these larger centers, they tend to um, move babies to the next room up once they are walking. And then the next room up tends to have a single scheduled nap. Yes. So my moments of desperation were much greater with my first child because I didn't understand that that transition to the next room was actually going to be a bit of a lifesaver for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with my second child, I had like far many more moments of Zen because I said, okay, today she took a single 40 minute nap that happened to us frequently as well, or <laughs> two 30 minute naps or something like that. Yeah. Like, we're just going to survive this first year, you know, 
Because he like you hold on in your mind, you hold on to all these transitions as like huge hopes. You know, like when we yeah. at six months we went down to two naps. I was like, oh, at two naps, she's gonna sleep so much better. You know, but she didn't at daycare. She did yeah. at home, but she didn't at daycare. You know, so it really is kind of like you got to put yourself into a mental survival mode. We're gonna get through this first year. Um, it's just naps. You know, yes. it's just naps, right? Like, and I know we fine. love to obsess over naps, but it is just naps. <laughs> so like, okay, so that's all sounding kind of dire. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about something you do have control over, which is the morning and the evening. So Emily, tell me a little bit about what your pre-daycare schedule was like. Well, I'm one of the really fortunate people that my daughter generally sleeps relatively late compared to a lot of babies. Um, she normally wakes up around seven in the morning, which I know is... Wow. Yeah, I know. And and I I don't want to jinx that. I mean, she has had a few early wake-ups the last week or so because she's been sick. But um, in general, she sleeps fairly late. So I, with my boss's approval, made the decision that I was going to let her sleep as late as she wanted <laughs> because she needed it. Um, and so that meant we got out of the house a little later and she got to daycare a little later. But um, I felt that it was important to her to get that sleep in. Um, so, you know, it would take us about 45 minutes to get out of the house. She'd get to daycare a little after eight in the morning. She was usually the last one to get there. Um, but I felt starting the day on that footing was important. Um, mm. now the evenings were a completely other, other story. You described it as evening triage. And I don't think I've ever seen a better description because it essentially is triage. Well, and I can't take credit for that because that was someone on the, on the Facebook thread. Oh, <laughs> but I wow. loved it. Yes, Whoever it said is. that, that is incredibly accurate. <laughs> Well, let's talk about mornings first and then get to the evening. Yes. So I think Emily made a really good point here, which is that you basically f figure out when either when you need to wake your baby up in order to get this whole daycare thing going in order to be at work on time or just figure out when your baby in general wakes up and then basically create a schedule from there, knowing that, you know, every day is a new day and it's kind of you never know what's going to happen at daycare. Yeah. Um I would suggest that if you can to arrive with a well-rested baby who's going to be playing for a while, yeah. because like I mentioned, you know, um, you think you're getting there like right at their first nap time, they'll go right down for a nap, but they don't because it's bright <laughs> and because it's loud and because it's exciting. So one of the things that we did, you know, especially there was a kind of 13 to 18 month old period when, um, well, actually, I shouldn't even mention that because that's the next age up. But it, even in infancy, <laughs> sometimes there were these like early wake ups or rough nights or something yeah. like that where, you know, we timed leaving the house like she's going to fall asleep because us, it took like 20 minutes to day get to daycare. Yeah. Which was enough time for a little for, car nap. Yeah, a little car nap. Right. Yeah. And then um, so. In the car, and this is going to be true in the evening too, if you want to aim for a car nap, the, the tactics that I used were I put a blanket over, you know, the, the infant car seat has that bar that goes yeah, over it. Right. So, and it, in Alaska in the winter, this is just ubiquitous. You would put a blanket over that handle, you know, yeah. so you're making like a nice, warm, dark space in there. I would put 
I would find on the radio station, a static station, and I would put that on and I'd put it all on the rear speaker and I'd put it on loud. So we got yeah. white noise, we got the bumpy car, we got a warm, dark car seat. Like you just can't resist this nap environment. So we got to daycare, you know, baby sleeping, get the thing out of the car. It's shaking around. That's all conducive to sleep too. Um, and then we would just ask the daycare provider if, if babies were still asleep, like, can we just put the car seat in the crib? And, and I have to confess that, yes, after the state regulate, new state regulations, they would say, you know, we're really not supposed to do that because they're supposed to have line of sight to the baby. But, um, you know, sometimes they'd say, you know, yeah. okay, you can. And, and, and honestly, really, the AAP recommends no car seat naps because of the way the baby's positioned. Um, you're supposed to be flat. The baby's supposed to be flat yeah. on the back. But um, but they said if you need to do it, do it so short term. If you look at the AP guidelines, they even say that there. You can do it short term. Um, but we would put the car seat in the crib, and then you could take the blanket off. Then it's not as dark, but we'd convince them to turn the lights down. They they would do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, if, if that works for you, do it. You know, take that early morning nap, like, any way that you can. Yeah. Put a white noise machine, you know, if a, you have a portable white noise machine, put that. There are great you know, white noise apps on your phone. You can just plug it in through the stereo system. Well, right. I was saying when you get to daycare, oh, you don't you get want to daycare, your phone yeah. behind. But if you have, like the sleep sheep comes yeah, with yeah. a you know, half hour thing. So you can put that in the crib. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, what if your baby doesn't fall asleep, but is kind of ready to fall asleep when you get to daycare. One thing that I would do and that our daycare would allow us to do is, you know, I'd just get into one of those rocking chairs and, you know, change the diaper, swaddle baby up, nurse or bottle if you have the time to do it. And then if they fall asleep, put them in the crib with the white noise and, and tiptoe out and pray, yeah. you know, because there were many mornings <laughs> that I did that and I come like I was so excited I came back check her schedule she slept for like 15 minutes you know after I did that I was like but you know it's something yeah yeah if you don't try you'll never know and and uh, some people wondered about um, you know introducing sleep associations at daycare that they don't necessarily have at home um, like a pacifier daycare is using a pacifier and you don't at home and I would suggest you know let them do it unless they're like giving your baby a pacifier throughout the day and you'd rather not happen that have that happen. Let them give a pacifier at nap time because from what I understand and, and I think Alexis has written this on the precious little sleep blog that, you know, they, they understand a difference between night and day sleep. So, and yes. they, I think they actually clue into a difference between daycare and home sleep. Too. Yes, definitely. So, um, Emily, I was wondering, because you said that, you know, your baby napped way better at home on the weekends than oh, at yeah. daycare. So how would like, tell, were there sleep crutches that they tried to use at daycare that you weren't using at home, but it went well anyway? Um, I, I Quite frankly, in the infant room, nothing went well when it came to naps. Um, they tried giving her, well, they, they asked if she had a stuffed animal that she liked, thinking, you know, maybe, you know, that would help. And so we started bringing in her stuffed blue giraffe. Um, that didn't really help, but she did get exceedingly attached to him. So now she does sleep with him every single night. Um, 
So we tried that. They tried a blanket in there, even though they're not supposed to. But she was older, so I wasn't concerned. Um, Mm -hmm. They tried a lot. I mean, she would never take a pacifier. So I think they would have tried if I'd asked. But at that point, I gave up on even trying pacifiers with her. Um, Like I said, they would would feed her the bottle and rock her and try and try. But she was just so resistant. So they absolutely tried everything they could. Um, You know, the only place I'd say to step in is if they're introducing a bottle after age one. Yeah. No, because that's just weird. At that age, (laughs) they're transitioning to a cop. They shouldn't be relying on sucking to sleep anymore. Yes, exactly. or 14 months or whatever it is, right? Yeah, this was when she was a little younger. Yeah, yeah. So prior to 12 months. And the other thing, Emily, you said, you know, they put a stuffy and they put a blanket in Mm -hmm. her crib. This is something that daycare can do that you can't do at home because of that state regulation of line of sight. Exactly. They have have eyes on your baby the entire nap time, right? Mm -hmm. So they know that blanket isn't on your baby's face and that kind of thing. Yes. So similarly, our place, even after my babies were rolling, they would, you know, wrap them up in a blanket and, <laughs> and rock them to sleep. and put. So it wasn't swaddled anymore, but there was a blanket in the crib and they could do that again mm-hmm. because, you know, of that line of sight. All right. So I knew that we wouldn't get to all those topics today, but let's in the last few minutes talk about that evening triage and then <clears throat> and then summarize what we talked about. Yeah. Okay. So. Emily, you would pick up your baby at the end of a day of a 40-minute nap. Yes. What's your what's your modus operandi? What's your attack plan here? Well, every day I hoped and prayed that she would fall asleep in the car on the way home. I have to report she never, ever did. <laughs> never. I mean, I... We were really lucky to have a daycare that was fairly close to our house, but that also meant that she didn't really have enough time to fall asleep. So, you know, there was pros and cons to that. But uh, after I would give up on the car naps, I just decided I would get home. I would take her upstairs, close the door in the nursery, make sure it was all dark. I would sit in the glider and I would nurse her. And usually within about 15 minutes, she would just fall asleep in my arms. And what I, time were you getting home? Around five o'clock at night, quite frankly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I would let her sleep for about fifteen minutes, and it it was it was kind of nice from a certain um, point of view because she she hadn't slept in my arms like that since she was a newborn, and when that doesn't happen all the time, <laughs> you you do kind of miss it in a weird, sick way. But uh, so I would let her sleep for about fifteen minutes, and then I'd have to do the the horrible task of wake her up. And she was not in the greatest mood for the rest of the night. But if I didn't do that, she would literally be falling down crying because she was so tired. And my daughter, unfortunately, um, is very, very attuned to her bedtime. It is very difficult for me to put her down early. So I had to stretch her until her eight o'clock bedtime. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Really hard. You would get home and you would nurse and rock her in your arms for 15 yes. minutes. You didn't put her down. No. Sometimes okay. I would put her down. If she wouldn't go to sleep in my arms, then I would like last ditch, just put her in the crib and leave. And she would usually fall asleep pretty quickly, but mostly it was just in my arms and she would sleep in my arms yeah. for 10, 15 minutes and then I'd wake her up. So I would just take the edge off with a little cat nap there. 
So here, I, th- I, I really think that is an interesting approach and probably a good approach because, you know, a lot of people will talk about how, you know, I put my baby down to sleep at 630 because they didn't nap well all day. And then they woke up, you know, 30 minutes later, yeah. 45 minutes later. And I suspect that's because that the baby is treating that like a nap. In hey, which mom, case- it's not bedtime. <laughs> It's not bedtime, you know, whoop, I feel pretty recovered now, you know. So there's two approaches. One is because your baby's underslept for the day, even if, so you put them down at 630, they wake up 30 to 45 minutes later and you're like, whoa, that's weird. You know, do I let them cry it out at that point? If it's after a day of crappy naps, I would say no, yeah. because they just got that regenerative boost. Mm-hmm. If it was me, I would get your baby up. I would change the diaper. I would, um, you know, engage in a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe feed again, maybe like an hour, you know, something like that. And then try for bedtime again so that you're putting an actual separation between what they consider to be a nap and catching up mm-hmm. and bedtime. Right. Yeah. So that's only in the situation and the circumstance where your baby just had like, you know, no naps that day or a 40 minute nap or something like yeah. that. Which was you my know. life for several know, months. Right. <laughs> you know, you're not giving them the two to three hour wake time that they typically would need before bedtime, but that's okay because they're so short shrifted on sleep from the day, right? Yeah. It generally irons out. Yeah. So, so the other approach then would be um, Emily's approach, which is try to, you know, in whatever way you can get them a short nap, you know, before bedtime. Mm-hmm. So, and actually I should say there's a third approach, which is that, um, and, and this was from one of our, our listeners and, and Facebook, um, guests that, you know, she had a, a really long work day, you know, so baby spent a pretty good chunk of time at daycare and they were getting home, you know, like six thirty or seven at night, in, and then, um, you know, she said basically that she became an expert in like 10 minute bedtime. And sometimes this does have to happen. Yeah. So generally on Precious Little Sleep, most of the admins and Alexa say, you know, put your baby on a regular schedule, <clears throat> get them, have, set the bedtime. I feel like daycare is the exception to that rule in that um, I would often put my kids to sleep an hour earlier than they would have, you know, on a weekend at home because they needed it, you know, like they needed it so badly and it ended up working out. It worked out just fine. And so similarly with this person who, you know, said they did the 10 minute bedtime routine, you have a day of crappy naps at daycare, you know, and, and no catch up nap in the early evening and you don't have many choices. You're at home at six 30 or seven o'clock. Yeah. Do a super fast bedtime routine, get that baby to bed, you know, and if they wake up 30 to 45 minutes later, get them up, do a little uptime, wake time. Mm -hmm. But if not, just let them sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I thought my daughter would have done that, I totally would have. But she is just like, even when you're trying to adjust for daylight savings time, she will not go down earlier. It is such a struggle. So. I opted for the cat nap to stretch to regular bedtime. <laughs> yeah. So I think you just have to kind of try different things and see what will work for your baby. If your baby will go down, 
an hour earlier and doesn't and it doesn't affect their otherwise regular schedule, then go for it. But I've also seen a lot of people who do that and then they get stuck in a cycle of early wake ups. So sometimes you have to kind of balance what what you need to do versus what you want to happen. Right. So that every baby is different thing. Yeah. That is true. You know, yeah. and and you know, another weird thing that might happen, and this happened to me, is that you know, my babies didn't typically nap in the car, but every now and then they would fall asleep in the car seat and like they were out in the yeah. evening. Like they <laughs> did they, like didn't wake up when I yeah. got home, you know? And so I have done times when it's like I get them out of the car seat, they're still asleep. I change their diaper super fast and put them in the crib and they stayed asleep. It sounds impossible until it happens to you, but yeah. it does happen every now and then. Every now and then. Okay. So we're actually at about 45 minutes here. And um, I think well, let's, well, let's kind of wrap up by backtracking. Mm-hmm. We've got evening triage, you know, basically get to daycare, look at the schedule. They keep a t- detailed schedule for infants. Did your baby nap well that day? Great. You're golden. Did your baby not nap at all that day? figure out what they need first. Are they hungry? Feed them, Mm -hmm. you know, change diaper. If they fall asleep, then, you know, you've got one of three possibilities when you get home, you know, and become a master of understanding what your baby needs in the evening. Daycare makes you very good at contingency plans. (laughs) Yes. Become good. Yes. And then, and just think Zen, Zen, this is all going to be okay. You know, we're going to make it through this. 12 months is our, is our end goal here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mornings, figure out when your baby wakes up in the morning and try to set a schedule from there through the day. It's really important to have open and consistent communication with your daycare provider. Try not to be pushy about it. You know, don't bring it up every single day, maybe once a week or something like that. And, you know, if you can work it out, like, you know, print out a small schedule and tape it into your child's cubby or on the headboard of their crib or something like that, you know, recommended nap times. This is what we do at home. You get send in some sleep aids if you can, you know, swaddle, portable white noise, something like that. Um, Let's see what else. And then, oh, that's in terms of just, you know, naps at daycare. We talked about giving up control. Um, we talked about those lovely FOMO babies. I think that's the majority. The yes. fear of missing out. You know, heck, you know, enjoy that. Your baby yeah. likes to interact with its environment. Think of yeah. that as a positive thing. Yeah. And and I think also just getting out of your baby's way when it comes to transitioning into daycare and transitioning to other rooms, you know, just accept that transitions can be rough but you might be making it worse by trying to make it better. <laughs> yes. You know, and like all things parenting, you know, it's, it's a challenge. Embrace the challenge, learn from it mm-hmm. you know, and move on in some way. Yes. Okay. And um, on the next podcast, then we are going to get to transitioning to the next room and logistical things like bottles um, feeding, food, um, things like that. Emily, what, what can you think of that we missed on this one? I, d- I don't know that we missed a lot. Um, oh, illness. So oh, people talk yes. about illness. Yes. Um, 
And the pros of daycare, like we will in the next podcast, let's talk about the pros of daycare. Illness do exist. Is part is on both sides of it. Yeah. Depending um, on. Okay. So, the... oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say illness can be a pro or a con depending on who you talk to. Yeah. So thank you for joining us today on the Precious Little Sleep Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.